Good to have you here. Take your Bibles and turn once again to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. You're going to get to do two things this morning. Get to hear a message from God's Word and also critique my artistic ability. It will not be much of a challenge. I guarantee you, I did not get the artistic ability that my mom had. All right. Once again, good to, uh, good to have you here. Let's pray. And also, after we pray, if you could make sure, could you take your phone and one way or another, kill it. Just, you know, just silence it, whatever, because I want to keep Satan's uh, distractions out of this as much as possible. Amen. All right. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, now it's your word and your command and your details that you have given us when it comes to our lives. I pray that you do a work. Lord, help us by your grace to grasp simple truth. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. I've entitled the message, The Breastplate You Cannot Quote-Unquote Live Without. And it's the the truth. I'm not talking about physical life, although there might be ways where it would affect it. But we're talking about your spiritual life. If you are born again, you need to understand what Paul, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, is telling us. If you don't know Christ, can I encourage you to know him? Come and trust him. So, once again, we have been looking at the armor of God. Let's go ahead and just just to do it, Let's start again, remind ourselves in verse 10 and continue to the latter part of verse 14. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. That's why this is important. If you don't think that Satan is doing everything he can to distract, uh, destroy uh, the, the, the mankind in general, but also Christians. Uh, all you have to do is look at the news. All you have to do is see what is going on. Don't get distracted by that now, but the point is, the reason why we have a cartoon coming on Prime Video uplifting Satan right now as of this last Friday is because of the wicked one and he's got his minions in all different places in leadership. They're there. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We don't get discouraged. We have the Holy Spirit. Let us continue. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And that's not talking about Washington, D.C. or Sacramento, although they're very active there. We're talking about 
the, 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 the spirits here that, that in their realm that they have, that they are working hard to do this wickedness in and through mankind or to and through mankind. Verse 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. Those things come and go. They're going to get worse before it gets a whole lot better because of Jesus. But they're coming. Withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So in other words, praise God for this. The Lord says, look, you take on the armor and if you take on the armor, you do what I tell you to do, guess what you're gonna be able to do? Stand. I, you know, I, I find it so sad to watch people whose God, that's my God, is their God, but they walk away. You know, kind of like Demas. And, and, and then there was the man like Judas Iscariot. My soul, he was with Christ for three years. He got it all up here, but it wasn't here. You read the word of God, you will learn all you need to know about God, but you'll also learn about yourself. You'll see yourself in people in the scripture. Take note of that. Verse 14, stand therefore, as we have already looked at, having your loins girt about with truth, and this morning, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, real quick, the breastplate was a sleeveless piece of armor, covered the full torso of the body. A soldier would never even think about going into battle without this breastplate. There was a couple of ways that they made them. They would have um, a leather, le leather that was stitched and they would wrap it around their bodies. And then on that leather, they would put animal hooves or pieces of metal or stuff like that. Or they would take the same thing, they would do the leather or linen, thick linen sometimes, and they would surround the body with metal. They would hammer it in so that it fit just perfectly. Now the question is, why? Because what would take place when you put that on, you were covering vital organs in the body. Yes, we, we, we've got the chest, we, we, you know, we've got these bones, but we've got the stomach, we've got the lower back, and even through here, there could be a spear that would go through, and inside you've got the heart, the lungs, the stomach, you know, the spleen, et cetera, et cetera, and not only if you wind up getting stabbed there, if you wind up getting a knife in you there, not only does it hurt a whole lot, you're probably gonna die. So a soldier knowing this would do just that. He would put it on and he'd make sure it was secure because he didn't want a sword. He didn't want an arrow, didn't want anything like that piercing in to hurt one of those organs. The, the, the spiritual aspect of this 
winds up being incredibly plain. Here's the reason. When you stop and you remember that during that time, there were people back then, and even now, that when they think of the heart, they think of the, the, the will, the emotions, the mind of that person. There's also the word bowels. Same thing that is used in the scripture about that. We, we read about it in the Bible. Philippians 1.8, for God is my record, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.1, if there be therefore any consolation, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, any bowels and mercies. Colossians 3.12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies. We even use the same terminology today. I love you with all my, there we go. Or I feel it in my, you stop and think about that. Now, I've got something here that I just want to use as kind of an example. I want us to just stop and think. This is not an actual heart. You know, there are a few people here that could really tell you what those things kind of look like. This represents us. Now, there's some interesting things that are said about what this represents. Again, the feelings, the emotions, etc. But also, you stop and consider this. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us what? The heart is what? deceitful above all things and desperately wicked to the place of who can know it. Now, I want you to think through this with me. Not only that, the Lord said in Matthew 15, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. So our enemy knows this. He knows the potential of what is right there. Now look, if you're born again, praise God, that's great. However, you and I still have a flesh, right? Now think with me. Satan knows that. He knows what he can use to tempt you. And here it comes. Now, it might be something like discouragement. It might be something like the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It could be any one of those things. And in fact, we know from Scripture that he has watched, he and his minions have watched us enough. They know exactly the thing that will get to us the most. That could be it. That could be the thing. I can finally bring them down. Now, again, if you're born again, he knows he has lost you. 
but he does want to destroy your walk with God right here. Are we all on the same page? So, you know, what we need is we need the armor of God. But now, wait a minute. Am I really recognizing what that is? Well, I hope and pray you do better by the time we're done. Satan tries to corrupt what Christ has done. When we, in fact, I just preached this message not too long ago, Proverbs 4.23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now, the Greek word that translates righteousness in Ephesians, here, 6.14, right there, occurs 92 times in the New Testament. By the way, including 30 times in the book of Romans. Righteousness is the theme, in fact, of the book of Romans. You look in verse in Romans 1, you don't need not turn to it. He said, therein is the righteousness of God revealed, Romans 1.17. Weist says this. Now, Weist is a Greek scholar. I've gone to him often. I like, what he, I like how he writes. Listen to what he says about that word righteousness. Think. Righteousness in the biblical sense, is a condition of rightness, the standard of which is God, which is estimated according to the divine standard, which shows itself in behavior conformable to God and has to do above all things with its relation to God and with those that walk before him. Now, we talk about the righteousness of God. Listen, you know something? Bottom line, God does what he does because he is who he is. He's righteous, he's holy, he's loving, he's merciful, he's gracious. We expect that because we've seen that from God in the scriptures. In this case, we're thinking about righteousness. Now, we do what we do because we are who we are. We're sinners. Again, we read about that in Matthew 15, the things that can come out of the heart if we're not careful. Or if we have trusted Christ as Savior, we have a new nature, we can hold down our flesh, like Paul said, and we can live out this righteousness. Bottom line is this, the reason is this, we, we need, while we're here, and I'm gonna be talking a little bit more about this tonight when we're having the dinner next door, looking forward to that. But we need to show the righteousness of God to a lost and dying world. Folks, more and more, people are getting a little unsettled because they don't like what's happening to this world. Now, praise God, we can sit back and go, you know what, I am, I'm rejoicing because, and I start saying it again, you know, this world is not my home. But you know what? There's a ton of people out there, they can't sing that. Or they can't sing it without 
you know, without any assurance. That's where we come in. We can do just this. Bottom line, there might be somebody on your street, where you work, in your school, whatever. They're waiting to see somebody, not talking about perfect, none of us are, except in Christ, but living it out, being complete in him, they're waiting to see somebody like that. Now, Satan comes at us. And when he starts shooting at us, he's going after two main things. He's going after your mind and he's going after your emotions. If he can get to your mind, he can get you to rationalize and go, you know what? It would be okay if I did thus and so. Or in the emotions, well, I'm telling you, this is what they did to me. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this to them. Those things. He knows how, again, to get us. So you stop and you consider. If Satan is using the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, if he's using what I have shown in my life where I'm weak, I need to get back. I, I, I need help. And that's what the breastplate of righteousness is. Now, let me tell you, first of all, what the breastplate of righteousness is not. It is not self-righteousness. We cannot come up with it ourselves. We can't make ourselves better. I mean, my soul in Isaiah 64, the Lord told us that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We can't do it. You can't take something that has fallen to make something that is pure. You just can't do it. The kind of person that wants to show themselves righteous by their own efforts, number one, will be the first one that will start judging others. And then secondly, they won't be happy because the fact of the matter is they're gonna fail themselves. So we can't do it. Secondly, it's not the imputed righteousness of Christ. That is something that we don't put on. That is something that the Lord gave us. It's impossible to put that righteousness on. That is the foundation of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.1, he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of Christ in him. So that is what we have from him. When we were saved, when I was saved January 14th, 1967, the Lord gave me his purity, his righteousness, and took my sin on him. If you've trusted Christ, he's done the same thing for you. Amen? So it's not self-righteousness and it's not imputed righteousness. You could put it like this. It's practical righteousness. Now just, just, just watch this. Go to Philippians 3, if you would, please. Go to Philippians 3. 
the, the breastplate of righteousness, this, this shield between what Satan wants to do, getting to your heart, that breastplate of righteousness is the, again, practical righteousness is what we practice of a life lived by this, in simple obedience to the word of God. Now, now, now catch, catch this. Look at Philippians 3, verse 7. Paul talks about this. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered, by the way, the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. In other words, something that I put together, okay, I'm keeping the law, keeping the law. That's why I don't understand people who have professed Christ, who have gone to Bible preaching churches that can go someplace where they're being told, now you need to keep the law. You keep the law in Christ. It's Christ in you. The law is fulfilled. You're saved. <sighs> and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. I'm trusting him. He knows how to guide me by his word. He knows how to help me live. Verse 10, verse 10, that I may know him, Paul said, the power of his resurrection. You're gonna, when it comes to the power of his resurrection, that's meaning, you know, you're going to live out what he has put in you. As he said to the church at Colossae, Christ in you, the hope of glory and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Oh, wait a minute. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And oh, by the way, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So again, catch this. This righteousness will help protect your heart. Okay. Satan knows it. He knows how to nail your heart. By the way, don't ever be, there's a Greek word for it. Don't ever be so stupid as to think that Satan would never spend his time trying to bring you down. I'm looking at a room full of people that the wicked one hates with all his heart. But God so loved the world, that's us, that he gave his only begotten son. Now he's given us his word and here's where it's at. All right, there's your heart. The potential for wickedness is there, but it's been bought with a price. Now he's coming 
What does the Lord give us? He gives us the breastplate of righteousness, practical living. All right, he comes at you. Do you see that person cut you off on the road? And your response is, man, I'm going to run up to him. And, and practical righteousness comes up and says, you know what? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. In other words, don't do that. Somebody comes at you with hatred. You want to respond in the same way. What does the righteousness of Christ in the Bible say? Love them. You, you, you go through the word of God time and again and again in situations as they're flying at us, they're coming at us. He's got a response in his word. And when Satan comes at us, it stops him dead in his tracks. You know why? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the living word takes the written word and helps me live him. And my heart is protected. Now, this is what you do. You sit on that. And you remember, and you get in your Bible, and you see the practical aspects in Paul's epistles about living. Yeah, but you don't know what that person did. I understand that, but God does. Well, yeah, you know what? You've never been tempted like that. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? I'll never forget my son was with me. I was in my truck. We were living in the parsonage over here. And uh, I came around the corner on 34th Street and a guy was riding his bike and he mouthed out something to me. So like the good godly pastor that I am, I slammed it in reverse, gunned it, burned rubber, went back and said, what'd you say? Huh? Oh, it's okay. No, no, no. It's okay. Yeah, what? And I drove off and I realized I was about that tall. I couldn't believe it. You know, I, he's going to drive by someday and he's going to see this truck sitting in that driveway. Oh, that's the preacher. He's a jerk. And you know what? He'd have been right. I actually dropped my son off and I went looking for him. I could never find him. And though that's the situation I can tell you about. You know, the, the point is this, we've been there where, you know, this just kind of shifts and, 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 and we let something go through and that which we thought would be pleasing to do or to say or whatever, next thing we know, it leaves a bitter taste in our mouths. It leaves the feeling of failure, of doubt, of hurt, that we have failed God. How in the world can he love us? Why? Because I forgot what I had 
in my breastplate of righteousness. But you know what? God doesn't hold it against us. He's forgiven us. He's there. He wants us to come and say, all right, let's do this again. Back in uh, 1994, there was a young man who was playing soccer for his Christian high school. Uh, it, was, it was attached to Wheaton College, Wheaton High School, 1994. They're playing another team, and it's really intense. The other team is ahead by one, and he is just going full force. He wants to get this, he wants to get this goal, at least tie it if he could. He's going along, immediately he sees the scoreboard, zeros all the way across but he hasn't heard a whistle. So he goes ahead and kicks, pew, it goes in. Referee says it counts and they at least tied. Well, the people on the one side, they're, you know, they're saying, yeah, all right. The other side goes, no, wait a minute, that was wrong. You cheated us. The young man got to thinking about that. And he thought, wait a minute. So he went to the referee and he said, listen, in a game, what is it that really counts when it comes to time? What you see on the scoreboard or what the referee has on his watch? And the ref said, well, actually it's on the scoreboard. And he said, thank you. And he ran in. He went to his coaches and he explained to them the situation. And he says, you know what? It's just, it's, it's, not, it's not right. It's not right. I, I, I got the goal, but time had run out. The coaches agreed. And they went over to the other team, explained the situation, and said, you guys are the winner. That's it. The young man, when he was being interviewed about this, said this, Every time in your life you have an opportunity to do right, you should be thankful. For a person to know what is right and then not to do it, that would be a sin. Doing the right thing is more important. It lets you have peace. Well, there was a man who wrote an article about that and explained about how it was really something that this young man stepped forward and did the right thing. But that wasn't the end of the story. A little while later, this young man got a handwritten letter and it started out with this. Dear Rob, I read Bob Green's wonderful column about you. I love sports and true sportsmen. My faith in our future was renewed and lifted up by that column. Never lose your principles. Always stand for what's decent and right. That's what you told us all when you refused the victory. Signed, President George Bush. Now, that's from a president. I cannot, we, we can identify with that a little bit because we got to meet a president. 
In fact, I've met three of them. But the meeting with President Reagan was incredible. But you know something? More than that, it's our meeting with the Lord. Stop and consider this. You might not get a letter from the president, but you've got a God in heaven that has watched exactly with what you've done. And one day, according to the Bible, he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful in a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou the joy of thy Lord. What we do right now, oh, listen, there might be something in our hearts. We could go back and whoever it was that did something to us, I mean, we could go back there and we could nail them. Oh, mercy. He says, no, you don't do that. There might be the wicked one coming with thoughts of revenge, of lust, of whatever, of anger, you name it. And the scripture comes and says, you know, this is what you do. And your heart is protected because you have embraced the breastplate of righteousness. Now, in order to have that, you need to be born again. You need to know that if you died right now, you'd go to heaven. Otherwise, you are completely vulnerable. But if you're saved, you know, there's nothing better that we can do in a sin-sick world. And this world is sick in sin. It's wretched. The best thing we can do, whatever the cost, is to have that breastplate of righteousness on and let humanity 